0: everybody and welcome to will this be on the test i'm maddie and i'm austin and we're here today to talk about some things we should have learned in school but didn't learn didn't learn fully or didn't learn correctly and
1: sometimes we're sad because a friend of ours is moving well is moved is moved she's there now
0: yes but we're very happy for her i know she's a listener so i know none of you know what we're talking about but yeah, it is kind of a bummer um we were sitting there like Oh, no, we've got to actually, like, talk to people now. I know. <laughs> so, like, <how> we <laughs> hang out with your, like... We have other friends! <laughs> like, <We> have... I... <laughs>
1: I have other friends. I have lots of friends. You do have lots of friends. I have friends. I definitely have friends. Objectively, I could say that I have all the friends.
0: <laughs> uh, I was actually going to suggest to Austin earlier that we should uh, do a side project that is a Crazy Ex-Girlfriend rewatch podcast. I'm down for it. Because like we were talking earlier about how smart it was for them to add Trent in, which if you watch the show, you know who that is, because it shows the other side to this whole story. Yeah, Um, it shows that he's doing the exact same stuff Rebecca does, but as a guy, and it's so much creepier. Yeah. So I think we should do a rewatch podcast of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend in addition to this. I think we should call it Blam! A Crazy Ex-Girlfriend Rewatch Podcast. Yes!
1: And we can pretend that we were on the show.
0: Prove that we weren't.
1: I mean, I feel like we've lived that show.
0: Quiet, you. We're not supposed to talk about that part of my life. Never mind the fact that I'm currently podcasting after taking my sleeping pills.
1: This is going to be a wild ride, guys. Especially
0: because I'm going second,
1: I think. You are going second, so this is going to be great.
0: Um, But before we jump in, I do want to let you guys know that, like, speaking of sleeping pills, uh, on August 25th, I mentioned this uh, briefly last week, I'm going to be on another show called, let me make sure I get the full title, Story Shout Destigmatizing Failure. Story Shout is all one word. And it is a show hosted by my friend Kelsey, where she talks about people, to people about things that they are bad at. And if you listen to this on August 25th, Story Shout Destigmatizing Failure, you'll get to learn what my real first name is, because it is not Maddie.
1: Ooh. <laughs> Wait, it's not? Why am, I, why am I just now learning this?
0: Well, we talked about this last week. This is not the first time you've heard of it. I just did the uh, men in black thing to you and wiped your brain again, which I will have to do to all of you if you listen to Story Shout on August
1: 25th. Oh, man. And, oh, oh, speaking of things that we'd like to forget, um, we've been watching the follow-up show to Love is Blind. Oh, my
0: God. Jessica's back and she looks rough. Yeah, we're looking at Jessica going, Okay, if Jessica was 34 (laughs) and it's been two years, then we are roughly the same age as Jessica.
1: But yet somehow 20 years younger.
0: Yeah, I'm like... I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, man, my last year of teaching, I had wrinkles showing up. My hair was falling out in chunks. And I'm like, it was not like there's this one moment early on where she's brushing her hands through her hair. And you see her look down and look at the hair that's like come out in her hand. And it's like, Oh. oh, like something's something's wrong here.
1: And oh, man, they're painting up Jessica to be more sympathetic even though she's still crazy, and they've introduced a new villain, Francesca.
0: So, yes, guys, just go watch that show. Uh, Love is Blind After the Altar. Because this is how exciting our lives are at this point, especially with the Delta variant coming back. We really can't, like, we were getting ready to get back into our lives. And then people were like, oh, no, it's all safe now. We don't have to wear masks anywhere. Now, Austin and I have been wearing masks consistently regardless because I have some immune issues, and we've both got older relatives and people we'd like to not die, and now people are just saying, well, we're vaccinated. How bad can it be? Yeah, people, it is rare, but people are still dying um, if they've been vaccinated. It's rare, but it does happen. And, you know, there are reports coming out today that basically link COVID to Alzheimer's like brain activity after older people have it. Um, people who get their sense of smell back, things don't smell the same. Like coffee smells like gasoline. Yeah. So this isn't just a, well, did you die? It's like, in some cases, might as well.
1: Yeah, it's like it's gonna. It's badass. It, can, it can mess up your life even if you
0: live. Like, I've only had a sense of smell really for two years. When yeah. did I get that surgery? Uh, I've only had a sense of smell for a couple of years, and all I can think is how mean would the world be to take it away and then give it back wrong? So please wear your masks. If you're not vaccinated, get your vaccine. Uh, keep washing your hands. Don't do anything you shouldn't be doing. Don't be an idiot. Don't be part of the problem. We are the one like little county in our area that has not had a massive uptick, but we are still having an uptick. The rest of our area is a hot zone. Yeah. Um, and we are becoming one. So be cool, be nice, wear a mask, wash your hands. All right.
1: Well, let's dive into this because it sounds like you've got a long one. And <laughs> I do. I'm wrapping up the Mercury 13. Luck.
0: Hey, sometimes my my night my nighttime pills take hours. Sometimes they take 15 minutes. We'll find out.
1: Yeah. So anyway. To start off, you may be well aware that we are currently stuck in the suburbs.
0: mm-hmm. My mic looked weird, sorry
1: uh-huh. and the suburbs are a strange place, mm-hmm. like like we've been assaulted by carolers uh there's there's the worst drivers. there's too many churches. And next door is just a cesspit of racists and morons. We're
0: talking about the next door app, not our next door neighbors who are chill. Our next
1: door neighbors are actually really nice. I yeah, like and they've neighbors. got amazing
0: dogs on both sides. Like we aren't dog people, but these are great dogs.
1: These are such good dogs. Like 11 out of 10 good dogs.
0: Yes, all three of them. And But the most suburban thing is the lawn. We have been attacking our lawn for the last few weeks. Uh, we've discovered, I'm, I'm allergic to everything, like this goes back to my, probably my immune issues. I'm allergic to everything, but I've discovered that I can use loppers without touching plants and I can just attack them. Our lawn looks so different than even two weeks ago because I've been getting out my rage.
1: Yeah, seriously, it's so suburban, like mowing the lawn, fertilizing it, watering it, judging other people based upon their lawns.
0: Oh yeah, like the city guy did to one of our neighbors recently. Yeah. Their their lawn was fine. And so
1: it makes me think, why the fuck are we carefully cultivating this little patch of grass that does exactly nothing?
0: Did I ever tell you when I lived in Arizona, we were required to have a green manicured lawn? We were not allowed to have the natural anything there. Oh yeah. This is Arizona, Phoenix, folks. You were mandated To have a fully green lawn all the time. Yeah.
1: Like, literally, I think the only reason we care for our lawn is because we are legally mandated and required to take care of this little patch of grass in front of our house.
0: Oh, and the one behind that is unfortunately not that little.
1: Yeah. It's still pretty small. Like, as yards go, we got a tiny yard.
0: Yeah, it's pretty big to me. But, I mean... I'm not a yard person. Yeah, I
1: can, I can get it mowed in under half an hour. It's small. I mean,
0: I, I, my dad used to have a riding lawn mower. We, I had an acre and a half at one point.
1: Yeah, we can't even fit a riding mower in our yard. Like, we would, like it couldn't turn. It's that seems too like a
0: dare, Austin. Are you daring me to learn to mow the lawn?
1: No, you would die. <laughs> so I'm going to talk a little bit about lawns. Like, you know, where they came from. The grass. The ground. Why we have them. The problems with them. And alternatives. So first of all, where do they come from? Well, in the grand scheme of things, grass is actually pretty new. Like, it, o- the first, like, fossilized grass we found is only about 55 million years old. Uh, So, the land before time lied to us. Dinosaurs did not have grassy meadows to frolic in.
0: I mean, it's only the fossilized grass that we found. I and mean, didn't, like, the dinosaurs in land before time all not live at the same time, too?
1: No, they did not. So, like, all of your dinosaur movies that you love growing up are lies.
0: Except Limb Before Time* is amazing, and you really can't ruin it by by like this kind of detail. Oh man,
1: Land- I was looking at some Land Before Time stuff recently. Those are some ugly dinosaurs. Like they're lumpy and weird. But
0: so were dinosaurs. But they yeah. were covered in feathers. Yeah. And then you know you got Sarah the Triceratops is my favorite, and you got Ducky who's like yup yup yup, and she was the little oh, girl God. from Poltergeist who ended up getting ended up dying. And um, I think so, she was the one who from Poltergeist. So
1: uh, here's a here's a fun uh, Land Before Time fact that's just gonna ruin your day. You know uh, Sarah the Triceratops
0: dad. Is that the one I was thinking about? Because I know Ducky's dad or Ducky, yeah. uh, Ducky, Ducky, the actress died when she was real little. No, no,
1: the uh, the actual the dinosaur, Sarah Triceratops' dad. You know the kind of racist dinosaur.
0: Oh yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um,
1: his name is Daddy Tops.
0: He was born. His parents were like, "We're gonna name him Daddy."
1: <laughs> Daddy Tops. So. There's some kinky shit happened in The Land Before Time.
0: You can, you're not allowed to ruin this movie. Like, I, I'm actually afraid to watch it again now because it's been so many years and I want to remember it as this, like, sad light in my childhood. Yeah.
1: And of course, uh, even, like, full on, like, grassy biomes like the Serengeti or the American Great Plains are also pretty new. Those didn't even exist until about five million years ago. But uh, we as humans, we uh, domesticated several species of grazing mammals. And we
0: were domesticated by cats.
1: Yep. Like goats, cows, sheep, horses. And so maintaining pastures for these animals became part of us settling different areas and we moved to different places. Like uh, when we first settled in America, like the usual like grazing grasses we had and and meadows weren't really in the Northeast. It was lots of trees and just small grassy areas and the grasses didn't grow like they did in Europe. So they imported grasses.
0: That seems safe for everything.
1: Oh yeah. All the grass in America is an invasive species, just about.
0: That seems really safe. And or the buffalo eating then
1: Grass, but a different species of grass. Okay. And holy shit, these grazing mammals eat a lot. Like, there's time-lapse videos of goats eating, and you yeah, can see amazing. them just clear a field in a day. It's amazing.
0: I want pet goats to just take care of our lawn for us.
1: So really, the earliest lawns were actually just the closely grazed pastures because, like, they'll eat everything and they'll eat grass down to where it's really short, where it looks like it's been mowed, even though it's just animals eating it. That's kind of where this, like, came from. The lawn. The first ones were just pastures that had been grazed. And, yeah. oh, fun thing. I was talking about the imported species of grass. Um, Kentucky bluegrass... You know, the grass that everyone wants in their lawns, like the premium grass, the grass that America loves is actually from Europe. Mm -hmm. It's not from Kentucky. Kentucky bluegrass is a lie. And also uh, fescue, another type of popular grass, is actually really bad for insects. It has like a symbiotic species of fungus that keeps insects away from it. So when it replaces native grasses, it also hurts insect populations, which really just fucks up the ecosystem from the ground up.
0: That's probably why there are so many spiders inside my house looking for food.
1: But then it stopped being just being pasture because in the late 18th century, aristocratic Europeans uh, decided that lawns were a thing. And it's mostly because the Palace of Versailles, they had an expansive carpet of grass that was closely manicured to basically, that way you could see it from far away. You could just like gaze upon the beauty of this. And they had all of this land that first of all, they were rich enough they didn't need to graze animals on it or plant stuff on it. So it was just wasted land. And you could afford to pay people to go around and cut your grass very closely and make it look neat. So it was just a way of showing, look at how rich I am.
0: Isn't that how most things kind of start? Yeah. Somebody says, this is a way to show how rich I am. And then eventually it makes it down to people like us.
1: And of course, you know, because the French aristocracy started doing this, all of Europe started doing this. And then Thomas Jefferson saw it and he thought, oh boy, do I love this? And hey, I'm rich. And I've got people to cut the grass for me, so I'm just going to do this to Monticello. Yep. And that's how it came to America. The reason you have to mow your lawn is because Thomas Jefferson saw it and decided, yeah, I can do that.
0: The same guy who sent an entire expedition claiming that it was Louisiana Purchase, that so it was actually to look for mastodons. Yeah. So Okay, I- it was both, but I like my story better.
1: I think yours is better, too.
0: And probably more accurate knowing what we know about Thomas Jefferson.
1: And really, it has remained that kind of status symbol ever since. Like, you know, uh, especially after World War II, when everyone was able to buy houses with the GI Bill and they're building entire neighborhoods, it was easy for them to just plant grass and it became a status symbol for people to cut it and maintain it. And it's just kind of an expected part of the American dream and homeownership. Oh, yeah. And
0: to this day, we judge people for raising their kids in apartments. They, they need a yard they they don't to run in.
1: And they even like started like grassy parks. Also, like it's like oh cool, we have this like nice grassy area to play in. It's like a public lawn.
0: Yeah, it's like kids are perfectly happy running through the sidewalks. Like I mean, I I usually had a lawn. I always had a lawn growing up. But you know, we when we could, we spent most of our time in the woods. Yeah. Woods is way more exciting. Woods
1: are way more exciting. Lawn
0: is kind of boring. Like that's where like the shapeshifter I saw was or whatever it ended up being. I don't know. And apparently there were like bobcats and shit in there. Like way more exciting than a lawn. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's like, you know, it's still a status symbol. It's like, I've got time to take care of this lawn. I have the money to fertilize, cut, trim, or hire someone to do that for me. And our community is a good community because you can see how well all of us have taken care of our lawns. And like most things, there are some problems with this. I'm not even getting to like the socioeconomic ones. I'm just going to get into the environmental impact of having a lawn. And the first one's the big one, because you've already kind of talked about it a little bit.
0: Uh, Is it the fact that you can legally bury people in your lawns in most states?
1: That's, if anything, a benefit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's true. You, it's more it's more of a county law situation, but chances are you can find a way to bury someone in your lawn that it's legal.
1: Nice. Well I'm gonna add that to the end with my landscaping tips. So, <laughs> uh, first of all, grass requires a lot of water to remain perfectly green. Like um according to most of the websites I found, uh, they want you to water your grass between one inch to one and a half inches a week. Jesus Christ, that's a lot. That's the recommended amount to water your lawns. That's like a flood. Um, and that means it takes tw- uh, twenty-seven thousand one hundred and fifty gallons of water to just for per to water an acre to that amount to the minimum one inch that they recommend. That's per week. That's per week. Now there are between 40 and 50 million acres of lawn in the United States. That's including, like, uh, roadway medians, uh, people's lawns, public parks, and golf courses. By the way, golf courses?
0: We've talked about them before and how they're the reason we have daylight savings time, so fuck golf courses!
1: They also make up 3% of the lawn space in America. Houses make up about 40. So, if you do the math, that means there's between 1 and 2 trillion gallons of water that are used to water lawns a week. That's about 80 million (laughs) swimming pools a week. Sorry, I just can't remember the last time we mowed our lawn. (laughs) Yesterday.
0: What, was it a concerted effort to mow the lawn or was it, or not mow, uh, water the lawn? Oh, water the lawn? Yeah. Uh,
1: I haven't watered the lawn in four years.
0: Yeah. Like as soon as it starts to get a little crunchy, it rains, luckily.
1: Yeah. It's like, we have enough water around here. It's not a problem for us. Uh, Or one to cute Two cubic miles of water. Cubic miles.
0: So that's like a mile square that's also in the shape of a cube.
1: Yeah, it's a mile on each side. It's a
0: three-dimensional mile.
1: A three-dimensional mile. Three mile of water. And that's just on American lawns. Uh, by the way, that is enough that uh, for if you wanted to water every lawn in America, you'd be draining Lake Tahoe every year. That's how much water we use for this. It's a lot of water. And no, and oh, also most of that water that's used to water lawns isn't like, it's treated water from the city water system. So it's taking like a lot of chemicals and stuff to make that water drinkable when it's just being used to water plants. And it doesn't need to have fluoride. It doesn't need to be treated, but it is anyway. So it's Yeah, I've big... read
0: about like attempts to figure out if there's a way to make it so that the water systems are separate there's a you know a water system that feeds your toilet and even your shower and then there's one that feeds where you get water cups from but the problem is you can't prove people aren't drinking from these other spots and
1: yeah it's it's a, it's a tough thing. There's there's ways to get around it, but like not easy in an urban environment.
0: Yeah. Now,
1: there's lots of places where needing water for your lawn is not a trouble. is not problems. I mean, there's places where... Grass... <laughs> are, you,
0: are you sure you're not the one on sleeping pills?
1: <laughs> maybe. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. Yeah, there's lots of places where it's no trouble to keep your lawn watered. Even some places where it just rains enough, you don't even have to water it. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of places where water is scarce... Like Phoenix. And places that have been in um, about a decade of unprecedented drought, like California, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, and parts of Texas and Oklahoma. Yep. You know, deserts. (laughs) Places that aren't supposed to have this. Places that aren't supposed to have lawns like this. And it may shock you to know, but lawns and grass are not naturally occurring in those environments. What with all of the water they need to survive. And in these places where there's millions of gallons of water being used to maintain lawns that do nothing, it's easy to see that there's better uses for this water. Like, you know, drinking, bathing, agriculture. Agriculture is the big one where it's like, we are agriculture is getting tough in california and um yeah that's a real big business in california we get a lot of our food from california we need california
0: but all those hollywood elite austin it's like uh the actually way. they are diverting a lot of water to that area aren't yeah. they like where that should be going to the uh-huh. farmlands they're like no let's send it to the cities
1: yeah by the way uh agriculture is still california's biggest business
0: i mean hollywood is actually really small yeah like it's a pricey business, but it's a small business. yeah. like they they are just out of out of the ability to qualify for a small business loan.
1: Yeah. And again, it's like these areas are all experiencing prolonged drought and they're having trouble. Like uh, I know this year, Las Vegas uh, tore up all of the grass they had on medians because they realized we're having to water all of this. And Lake Mead, where they get all of their water, is dropped to historic lows. And unless like this drought drops, which they don't think it is, they're just not going to have water in five years.
0: Yeah. I've never understood grassy medians. Yeah. Like they're a little like... Um, there are places around here that I think it's really cool where they've started reintroducing natural grasses on media like it's not the best yeah. situation, but it's on it's so at the side of roads. It's not the best way... like It should be happening more widespread, but on a median is a start. I mean, at least it's supposed to be there.
1: Yeah. So there's all this water that's being wasted. And then on top of it all, uh, to maintain your yard properly, uh, you need to be using fertilizers, herbicides, and pesticides on them. And Americans use tens of millions of pounds of uh, various fertilizers and herbicides every year on their lawn. And most of it ends up washing off. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get absorbed. It doesn't really do anything. It just washes off your lawn And into nearby streamways and waterways. Uh, The fertilizers uh, can cause algae blooms, Mm -hmm. which uh, can cause massive fish die-offs, amongst other things. Uh, And as we record this, there are large blooms occurring right now in Florida and China. uh, Large enough to affect sea transport, kill off lots of fish, thousands of fish are dying, and also, the uh, they're on the lookout for red algae and blue-green algae, mm-hmm. both of which are toxic and can cause very bad rashes on people. Like you know, say for instance, at going to beaches.
0: Yeah, and then there are like Instagram celebrities who go to these places intentionally, and they're like, "Look at how beautiful this is," not realizing that this like I think one of them let their dog even swim in it. Like
1: Yeah, it's toxic. They're they're actually as I was researching this, they're like they're cons- there's beaches they're considering shutting down in Florida because of this right now.
0: I mean, they're just so addicted to views, but yeah. they don't know that it's toxic.
1: I'm addicted to views and I'm on a plane. What? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to remember how the lyrics to Toxic.
0: Yeah. If you don't know Britney, you don't talk about Britney. Hashtag save Britney.
1: Yep. Save Britney. And by the way, um, for me to say that just the fertilizers are causing, causing this is a bit of a misnomer, uh, global warming and higher water temperatures in the oceans are also causing this too.
0: But wouldn't like the lawns be contributing to all of this? Not just for the pesticides and everything, but the amount of water that's being used. Like... I like I kind of zoned out for a second there because I was contemplating the idea that sand could have saved us from global warming. Yeah, uh, this is what happens on sleeping pills, guys. So I get I get kind of go off my own little world. Um, I have a whole theory about UFOs now that I'll tell you guys yeah. about some other time.
1: And uh, herbicides that are used in the lawns also wash off where they like you know fish and other aquatic animals ingest them, and it's it's not good for them. It causes mutations in frogs and other amphibians. It kills fish. It causes cancer in animals. And it's a bioaccumulator, like mercury is, and so it builds up in this food chain until it gets to fish that people eat in the ocean, and is bad for us, too. We've
0: talked about how bad mercury poisoning is.
1: Yeah. Similar things are happening with uh, pesticides and herbicides. And also, pesticides used in lawns are contributing to colony collapse syndrome and killing the bees.
0: Colony collapse
1: syndrome. Colony collapse okay. syndrome. Yep.
0: For a second, I thought it said cholera collapse syndrome. I'm like, don't we want cholera to collapse? Yeah, and- Now, even though
1: um, agriculture does actually use these for producing food uh, and they use them in larger quantities, uh, lawns have zero purpose. We could just not use these and be fine. And also, farmers uh, know what they're doing a bit better than like your average guy with a lawn. They measure stuff out. They know, okay, we can't use this now because it'll wash off. They use it more effectively with better purpose. And generally in like, they don't overdo it because they're having to pay a lot of money for this and they've got very low profit margins and they're also regulated more than like, you know, us with our lawns.
0: Yeah. um, The HOAs are regulating us and nobody's regulating the HOAs. Yeah. We don't have an HOA though. We've just got yeah. a really, really, we've got a city guy with a stick up his ass. Yeah. And so
1: they're doing, they are doing a better job. Lawns though, we waste a lot. Like, I couldn't find exact numbers on any of this and like zero sources, but all of the experts who like do stuff with lawn treatments and stuff, it's like, yes, we use too many chemicals on our lawns. We're wasting a lot. I couldn't find any exact numbers, but there's just a general agreement. We use too many chemicals and fertilizers on our lawn, like more than we need to. And of course, not only are we putting all these chemicals on it to make it grow, but when it grows, we have to cut it. And when it comes to mowing our lawns, Americans use about 600 million gallons of gas mowing lawns a year. Uh, By the way, and each person mowing a lawn spends about 70 hours a year doing so.
0: (laughs) What's that like, Austin? Because I don't fucking do it. I get out of the house. I have in my life. You want to know how many, how many, much time I've spent mowing a lawn? How much? I would say eight seconds. Wow. I was seven years old in Arizona. My dad decided to teach me how to mow the lawn. Uh, it was one of those lawnmowers that kind of has its own power, it kind of like jumps forward. You know, I got scared and stopped and went inside. That is my lawn adventure, and that is why to this day, if I if I didn't have an Austin, I would be hiring somebody from the neighborhood to mow the lawn for yeah. me. <laughs>
1: And of course, not only are we burning all this gas to it, lawnmowers don't really have any type of exhaust system, and they have much worse emissions than a car. Like the standards in c- cars, they pollute a lot less per gallon of gas used than a lawnmower does. And especially like older lawnmowers where you're actually putting motor oil into it, it's putting out a lot of weird chemicals and contributing to smog and the ozone, and it's just it's not good. It's not good at all. And also, if you have a well-trimmed lawn that you're fertilizing a lot, um, it does not really like sequester any CO2. Wait,
0: if you're constantly fertilizing and then cutting your lawn, why are you fertilizing your lawn? So it's green. Why can't you just do like that dude on glee and paint the lawn green with the sprayer? Ooh,
1: smart. That's legal in some places. Your HOA might not allow it.
0: Well, then why don't we just go out there with our own paint and do it?
1: Maybe. And so, so usually when like, you know, grass grows, like, if it's in a place where it's not really well-maintained, where they allow it to grow a lot and they don't cut it very often, it actually does sequester carbon dioxide, where it takes carbon dioxide out of the air and puts it in the ground. But in lawns that are constantly trimmed and well-fertilized, the grass actually produces lots of nitri- nitrous oxide, which is a- another greenhouse grass that actually is worse than carbon dioxide. And it produces enough of it that really your lawn is contributing to global warming. You're not helping Anything.
0: So let me. Just... What's weird? Okay, guys. To be clear here, Austin loves doing things like mowing the lawn. Like hearing him be this angry about lawns is actually kind of interesting to me. Yeah, that's like mowing the lawns for me. Like it looks like it's like almost meditative for him. Oh yeah,
1: I would. No, when I was like a like ten, from when I was like ten to when I was like eighteen, I would go mow lawns with my grandpa. And it was a blast. We'd go. I get to hang out with him. He taught me how to drive doing this. You had
0: your little business. We had
1: a little business and we'd go places. And then afterwards we'd go to like a bar and get a burger and a drink. And it was just, it was a lot of fun and I really loved it. And I do like mowing lawns, but it's, it's a problem. Like we shouldn't have this. And just really just to sum it all up, uh, grass lawns are just a relic of an aristocratic flex from France that was introduced an introdu- invasive species of grasses to America that are bad for insects, uh, use way too much water in some regions, pollute waterways and contribute to global warming. So
0: what can we do differently? We can all tear out all of our lawns and hope we don't find anybody's dead pets Yeah, or grandma's.
1: Well, first is the bad news. You might not be able to do anything. You might have to have a lawn. Uh, HOAs and local ordinances determine what you are allowed to have in your yards. So if you want to make any changes, please do your research before you do anything. And what you'll need to plant, even if you can change stuff, is going to change based on your local climate and what's in your area and what you can do there. So like, if you want to do anything with your lawn, do your research first. Like, There's a million options that will work some places and not other places and things are some things you're allowed to do some things you're not so here's just some general tips I found online that are just work just about everywhere so first, the first tip is think about how you use your, use your yard. Uh, if you entertain your backyard or you have kids or pets that are back there in your grass, uh, you can keep it. You might look into finding other species of grass that um, grow lower where they don't get as high and you don't have to mow as often. And maybe
0: don't use that much fertilizer if you got kids and pets running around back yeah. there. Or
1: just like what like what, grasses that need less water or plant a native species of grass instead of the invasive Kentucky bluegrass or fescue or Bermuda grass. And if you like if you like your backyard and it's great. You might consider making changes to your front yard because no one uses their front yard for anything. It's just there. It's just there to look good so people driving by don't think you're a weirdo.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting reading these stories of people who plant front yard vegetable gardens, like the same place they would plant a a flower garden. People are like, you can't do that. It's like, well... Why not? It says I can have a front yard garden. It doesn't specify. Well, it'll lower the the property value. Having food will lower a property value?
1: Yeah. And good. Like, do, do some research. Find out what you want. Find out what you can do. And, like, think about what you can do with your yard and how you use it. Uh, Second thing is plant native plants. Um, Here in Kansas, we actually have a uh, Kansas Native Plant Society that will help you with this. Like they'll recommend things. They'll even like, so it's like, oh, here, there's where you can go to get seeds. Here's where you can get them cheap. There's even like arboretums and places that will have like drives where you can go get native plants to plant in your yard. And because these native plants, they're already adapted to your environment. They're not going to require a lot of extra watering. They're not going to require lots of extra fertilizer. They are designed to work in the space we have. Like it's they they've adapted over millions of years to work here. So you've got native plants. That you don't that will require minimum maintenance. Like again, in Kansas, like we could be planting stuff like butterfly milkweed, so we can have attract monarch butterflies. That's really pretty too, isn't it? It's gorgeous. And stuff like black-eyed susans and like again, all sorts of native grasses that are not. They look fine. They act fine. They grow
0: well. Literally, our entire yard backyard is a giant weed. So I feel like everything will be better. Yeah. And all the raccoons will be happy.
1: Yeah, like that is the one thing is, though, you are going to have to weed more because there are invasive weeds like thistles and stuff like that you're going to take care of. But, you know, I mean, you're already having to do that. So
0: and by you, you mean Austin.
1: Yeah. And of course, another thing is you can get a rain barrel. We have one. We've got one. And it's basically it attaches to a downspout. It saves water from when it rains. That way uh, you can have water that is not treated from, by the city, that you, that was free, and would just like wash down the sewer drain, that when it's drier, you can start using water from that barrel to water your lawn or plants in your yard.
0: We have a compost bin, too.
1: We also have a compost
0: Are bin. you going to talk about that? No. It's a good alternative to fertilizer. I mean, it, it is, is fertilizer. It is. For, it's a natural um, fertilizer. But it's like, basically, you take your fruits and your vegetables and your breads and even your paper towels and stuff. It depends on how organic you want it to be. This is my job, because I can't go outside. Um, I figured out like what you can and and can't compost like pistachio shells. Yes, you can compost them, but technically you need to grind them first. So I typically don't. I find it very exciting, but it's a really good alternative to the chemical filled um, fertilizers. Yeah. But unless you have a massive organization, it only works over a small, small area.
1: Yeah. And uh, another thing is you can plant a food garden. Now, this is not going to fix like water usage to a very large extent, unless you do a lot of work and research like, you know, good, like- drought-resistant plants that you can plant that work in your area. And also
0: critter-resistant plants.
1: Critter-resistant plants. Not a thing. But it's also going to be a lot of work again. You're going to have to weed. You're going to have to mulch. You're going to have to take care of stuff. But it also means less mowing, so you're not using as much gasoline. You're not wasting stuff that much. And you're going to get fresh vegetables, which are just kind of nice. mm mm-hmm. Uh, you can also expand your flower beds. Again, native wildflower mixes of seeds can be cheap. They're easy to plant. You just throw them on the ground and they start growing. Uh, And you'll help bees. And you won't, again, you still have to spend time waiting. Because usually the wildflower mixes will also have some weeds in them, too, that you're going to have to dig up.
0: I just spend time waiting. I'm like... Weeding. I'm like, yeah, the bees are like not going to show up. They're not in the bags.
1: <laughs> yeah. And also, you can change your landscaping to help retain water. Like, basically, you can dig uh, berms and channels to like basically redirect water. So instead of immediately flowing out into the street and down the storm drains, it has enough time to sit in your lawn and soak into the ground, which will help your plants be more drought resistant. And uh it'll also filter the runoff water. So less chemicals are going to be getting out of your lawn into the sewer system and into the waterways. So it's gonna keep again helps with the runoff issue from fertilizers and also helps your yard Resist drought, and you can even there's even special plants you can plant that will help you retain water. They'll stop water from flowing through. They'll have deep root systems. They'll be like you can put gravel in. There's lots of stuff you can do, and this also plays in the next part. Is if you research it, lots of places offer grants to change your lawns to use less water or you know stop as much water from going off into the stormwater systems like California has a $500 turf replacement rebate and lots of like municipalities also have their own Because they've realized, hey, if we can get people to stop using water, we're not going to have to spend a few hundred million dollars building more reservoirs or figuring out how we're going to get water in a drought. Like this might help us a lot down the line. It's a good investment for us to help you not use as much water on your lawn and do all of this stuff. So, like for example we're gonna, well, we're gonna talk about us we already said it. i haven't watered the lawn in years we don't have to here yes our lawn does get like a little dry for like a month in the summer and it starts to get brown but that also means it's going dormant so i have to mow it less often so i'm using less gasoline and spending less time mowing it so it's a win-win
0: so if the city comes after us is this what you're going to try to explain to them no
1: they like i mean we're fine it's not like dead it's just a little brown it's not something they'll come after us for
0: oh they've come after people for less than that yeah unless you have a lot of Money, and then you can have your bushes grow all over the sidewalk if you want them to.
1: Yeah. And again, we also have this little depressed spot in our front yard. I hate it. Yeah. Maddie keeps tripping on it. Uh huh. Even though it doesn't move, and we know exactly where it is.
0: Uh, I have no proof that it doesn't move. We
1: could actually pretty easily turn that into a water retaining feature with gravel and some native plant species around it. That would be very good. It'd be less area to mow. It would be more. Spe- uh, flowers for bees, and was, again, nice native plants, and it would look real pretty in that spot, and it would also help us cut down that tree.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not sure how it would, but it'd be more motivation to cut down that tree.
0: I Hate that tree. We hate that tree. It keeps us from being nosy.
1: And then, of course, once we've done this, uh, we can put a series of pictures up on Pinterest or on TikTok or Instagram, and people will be very proud of us.
0: Yeah, because we're we're young enough for
1: the TikToks, right? We're not. We're really not. But we know. Well, we're young enough to know
0: what it is, at least. Uh, yeah, Austin's sitting there pretending he doesn't spend an hour a minimum a day going through TikTok. <laughs> it's less time than you spend on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, Facebook is made for old people like us.
1: Yeah, it's true. We gotta we got yell at those vet groups somehow. Or those people who don't use pets correctly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, that's that's lawns. That's lawns. They're not great, but there's lots of stuff we can do to improve them. Unless you have an HOA, then sucks to be you. I'm sorry. Are you ready for questions? Uh-huh. So will the fact that lawns serve no purpose beyond the test? No. Will the fact that Kentucky bluegrass is in fact not from Kentucky, but is from Europe be on the test? No. Will the fact that this is all Jefferson's fault be on the test? No. Will the fact that Las Vegas is a desert and shouldn't have lawns and golf courses be on the test? No.
0: Yeah, these are all things we can't say anything bad about.
1: Yeah, because like we can attack a lot of stuff here, but I feel like if we went after like something that is at the very heart of suburbia, they'd come after us with pitchforks and torches.
0: Just like we can't mention the fact that a lot of people say they're from Ohio or live in Ohio when they actually live in Kentucky. Yeah, you're smiling. Are you ready? Yeah, I guess so. So, guys, we are wrapping up the Mercury 13 today. As you remember, we ended basically with Jackie Cochran managing to get the Navy to stop allowing them to do the astronaut testing at Pensacola. I want to make something very clear. These three months of testing with the Navy for um, for the astronaut training, they were booked. They had blocked this time off with the expectation that these 12 women were coming to do the final phase of the astronaut testing. This was on the calendar. This was not a surprise, we're showing up. This was not a two-day thing. This was an extensive project that is important to know later. But Jackie Cochran was like, no, don't do it. They're like, okay. So at this point, the project had proven women were medically and physically capable of going to the astronaut level of testing. Really, this final level is not really required. It's just basically, we're at training at this point. There is no actual quantifiable reason for women to be disallowed from the astronaut program. But now that they are aware that, shit, we don't have a reason to say they can't do it, and now we've shut this down without giving a real explanation, we have to make this political. So today, the final chapter of the story is about the politics of it Ooh. and how this all went down and why they didn't actually get to wrap up their program. And the why is a know, spoiler <laughs> alert. So you got Jerry Cobb, the hero of our story. As soon as she found out, remember, she had gone through all the Pensacola testing. She was done. Like, she had proven that women can pass this, or at least a woman could pass this, and there are 12 more ready to go. As soon as she found out they'd canceled this, she got on a plane and flew to Washington and began meeting with as many military and political bigwigs as she possibly could. Not a single one could explain why she had been allowed to go through the testing pass it, and then have the rest of it canceled, particularly when we knew that Russia was working towards sending a woman to space. We can't be worse than the Russians. They literally said, we're not required to, so we're not going to. That's the word that kept coming up was required. I wasn't aware that we were required to have a space program. Yeah. I wasn't aware that we were required to exist in the first place. So that's not a good excuse. And don't forget, she had been named a special consultant to NASA by James Webb before this. So she keeps trying to get a hold of NASA. They're like, crickets, crickets, crickets. She had never been told what she was supposed to do, who she was supposed to report to. And she ended up getting getting fired from a job she had never gotten to start because they clearly couldn't find a good uh, professional relationship to work with. They had never talked to her. (laughs) Randy Lovelace, meanwhile, realized this might actually all be his fault. Because of the level of secrecy, remember he had, was working at NASA during all of this, and he had not kept NASA informed about the program. They only found out through the news, like everybody else. Oh no! Yeah, that's a bad. That's a bad look, man. Yeah. So he actually did reach out to James Webb, and he was like, "Look, let me just fully explain all of this to you. Like, this is not a space training program. This is me. This is a scientific exp- like exploration into whether or not this is physically possible for women. I've never promised these women anything. Blah bitty, blah 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 blah." James Webb is like. <sighs> Guys, so many of your like special interest groups are trying to get me to let your people go to space. Can you just stop? I'm a little busy. That was pretty much his reason. But Jerry Cobb wasn't giving up. She was invited to a symposium in Los Angeles to talk about women in space as a representative of NASA. Uh, she got fired like two days before this. <laughs> uh, and she went anyway. This is part of why she got fired, as she was planning on going to give this speech. NASA tried to talk them out of it. And they were like, no, no, we're going to have her come regardless of what you do. Uh, so she, at the symposium, officially made it public that 12 other women had passed the first two rounds of tests. This had not been public information, that 12 women, plus hers, so 13 total, had passed the medical and uh, psychological testing required of astronauts, in many cases surpassing the scores the men got. And that's when it finally happened. See, uh, they originally asked Jackie Cochran to come give this keynote speech. (laughs) And Jackie's like, I'm too busy for your little thing. And then she found out Jerry Cobb was doing it. She's like, oh, not too busy. And they're like, you're rude. Stop. Uh, To the point where she invited the organizer of the symposium out to her house to try to convince him to let her be the speaker again. And she got so heated, her husband had to come in and tell him tell her to stop. Your behavior is not appropriate. Wow! And the journalist who's running this was like, "Uh, no, we're good here. You're definitely not invited at all now." So Jerry Cobb and Jackie Cochran finally agreed to meet. They were both in Florida for John Glenn's takeoff as the first American to orbit the Earth. They agreed to meet to de- meet Peter Center. Jerry Cobb brings a friend of hers who is a reporter for Life Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> And Cochrane, knowing that she had to be polite, just accepted this at the table, but she also had to be on her best behavior the whole time because this is a reporter. And Cobb kept trying to get her to say on the record that she was actually against women going to space, which Cobb kind of maneuvered her way around. But she ultimately wrote a letter to Cobb saying that women need to understand their place. Despite her, Jackie Cochran, setting all of these records and her long history of saying women deserve equality in the area of flight. Cobb fired back that women were barred from the program, not because they were women. Not because they didn't know their place, but because they did not meet the educational and job standards and they were barred from those jobs. And typically they were barred from those jobs because the expectation was they would leave when they got married and had kids, which was the historical societal expectation. Like like teachers were told you have to quit the moment you get married because that if you get married, it means you're probably having the S-E-X and we can't let the kids think about that. Oh, my gosh. And then, like, Meanwhile, male teachers could be married because male teachers aren't doing that. That opens a whole other area. Um, and she also re- uh, reinforced, she's like, you know, some of these men in the program would not have met our strict standards and they don't meet their strict standards. For instance, John Glenn did not meet the educational standards required by the astronaut program. He, <laughs> in fact, uh, didn't enter college for another year or two after this. Wow. Yeah, and there, again, there's nothing wrong with not going to college, but they're saying that this is the reason women aren't allowed in the program, is they didn't go to college. Meanwhile, John Glenn didn't go to college. You can't have it both ways. Um, but remember, and I'm going to reiterate this several times, Cochrane tried to be one of the Mercury 13 and failed the medical exam. And so now she's saying things like women need to know their place, women, uh, women can't hold men back like this, women can't handle this, all because she physically, by no fault of her own, could not handle this. And she could not accept the idea that other people could and she couldn't. That's kind of how it's generally interpreted. The book, The Mercury 13, states, quote, "'Cobb envisioned an immediate women's training program, a concentrated effort for preparing American women, America to have the first women in space. Cochran wanted women to stand in line.' Having placed their alternate versions on the table, each woman set out to rally the Mercury 13, then take their court case to Capitol Hill. So at the end of the day, they both agreed that women belong in space. They just very much disagreed on when. So Cobb recruits Janie Hart. Janie Hart, I've mentioned, deserves her whole her own whole episode. She's a bamf. And she recognized that these issues were not about the Mercury 13 so much as they were about a larger societal structure that she was in the process of trying to tear down anyway. Cochran copied the letter that she sent to Cobb, you know, the one that went over so well, mm-hmm. and sent it to the rest of the Mercury 13 astronauts explaining her side. Most of them didn't remember getting this letter. They know they got <laughs> it. They're like, yeah, I vaguely remember that. Only one agreed with her. Only one. That was Jean Norristambo, who turned out to be okay. And then she just agreed like, yeah. And her reason for agreeing was not so much that women need to know their place. It's... Yeah, we're probably getting on their nerves too much, and maybe we need to chill out. That was her thing. Yeah. But then we've got, we go back to Cobb. Cobb chose the better option here with Janie Hart because Janie Hart was well connected. Remember, her husband was a senator. And if anything, Janie Hart was better known than her fucking husband for being outspoken and knowing everybody. (laughs) So she went to Liz Carpenter, who worked in the vice president's office. Oh. And she was like, hey, Liz, can, and she'd never actually met Liz in person. Like they'd like corresponded. And Liz was like, Oh yeah, I'll I'll talk to Lyndon. I'll see what he has to say, because this is Lyndon Johnson at this point. And she also agreed to talk to NASA. Lyndon Johnson agreed to meet with Cobb and Hart after reviewing all the materials Carpenter gave him and going, oh, and P.S., Lyndon, buddy, this is discrimination. You know this. I know this. JFK knows this. Let's meet with them. And she also drafted a letter just for him to sign for James Webb saying, you know what? Just let them do their program. Just let them do it. Like, we're like, this is a science experiment. This is not saying we're sending women to space. That's like, that was the letter. And so she's just knew that as soon as he met with Cobb and Hart, he would come back and agree to sign that letter. So when they met, Cobb focused on the science. Hart brought in the equality issue, bringing up that on the same day Glenn had gone into orbit, Kennedy announced a commission on the status of women as part of an executive order that said women are supposed to have equal opportunity for employment in and out of the government. Johnson tried to say, oh, you know, like all the other minority groups are trying to let us fly to let them fly too. So, you know, it's just we've got a lot of astronauts already and we don't really need these minority groups bothering us. And Cobb said, women aren't a minority group. Like. In pure statistics, we have as many votes, we have as many numbers, we pay the same taxes. We're not, like, it's pretty much a 50-50 split. So explain to us how we're a minority group. And also, what's the problem with other minority groups flying? He did not have an answer. Now, things get confusing here. Some places say that Lyndon Johnson actually did want to help and felt that he couldn't. And we do know that he actually was cool with women being pilots. He actually really liked Jackie Cochran. Uh, apparently, she saved his life at some point. What? Um, He had no problem with women pilots. Whether or not he had a problem with women in space is kind of a question mark. He claims he didn't. But when he got back to his desk and he saw that letter that he was supposed to sign, instead of signing it, he wrote, let's stop this now and sent it over to James Webb at NASA. Oh, snake. Cobb and Hart never found out about that. And so they assumed... After the meeting, based on what he had said, that he was on their side and felt really bad that he couldn't intervene with James Webb, which he literally just fucking did, and it turns out he actually had a lot of pull over there and just chose to not use it, Um, they began writing letters to the House and Senate committees trying to get a subcommittee formed to review all of their stuff. The Senate was like, I don't want to. So it didn't. But the House was like, yeah, we got this. Then we had the head of that committee, New York Congressman Victor Anfuso. He looked at the law and he's like, yeah, this really does say that you guys can't be in the astronaut program because we don't allow you to be test pilots. And if you have to be a test pilot first, you can't be an astronaut. We don't let women be test pilots. So, yeah, I don't see how this isn't discrimination. It was a discrimination lawsuit they were bringing up. Ooh. Not a lawsuit, but a discrimination claim. Not mm-hmm. a, you know, science Thing. It was all about NASA is discriminating against women, and this is a government-funded organization, basically, so this is a problem. So, and Fuso decided he was going to make this a massive, massive investigation. He was going to call witnesses, including all of the Mercury 13... Former first ladies, like Eleanor fucking Roosevelt, was, was, he wanted to get her to come. He wanted to get as many female scientists to come in, and talk as he could. He was into this. He was ready for this because he was like, this is a big fight. I see the problem here. Let's do it. Well, Cochran heard about this. No, <laughs> Jackie no. Cochran. I was like, hey, Janie Hart, come meet with me. Janie Hart was like, OK, I see you. I see, I see what you're about. Because, you know, Cochran's this huge conservative. Janie Hart is a bleeding heart. I'm going to punch you in the face liberal. But she's like, okay, we both have both had this argument. Like they are on equal footing. They are. They both grew up very wealthy. They both have like this exact. They could have the exact same lifestyle if Janie Hart had chosen to live that way. Jackie Cochran used to kind of live that way, and then got more and more conservative. Janie Hart was like, mm. She entered the home and the entire foyer. When you open, when you get in front of the door of Jackie Cochran's house, was covered with Jackie Cochran's trophies and awards and world records. Oh, God. intended, likely, to intimidate you the moment you walked in through her door. That's just tacky. And she was horrified by the things Cochran was saying, because Cochran, back when she was in charge of the WASPs, which was the women uh, aerospace program, I believe, she was like, women believe- deserve this equality. Women should be given the same rights as men. Women should be able to have the same employment within the aerospace industry as men. Jamie Hart-, Jamie Hart had seen all of this and was like, who the fuck are you now? What is this? But again, this is how she interpreted it. uh, Jackie Cochran had tried to be one of the Mercury 13 and had failed the medical tests and suddenly wasn't a supporter of it anymore. So Janie Hart would later go and be like, I think she was mad that she couldn't get this trophy. So she didn't want anybody else to have it. Yeah. And this is uh, after that, things start to fall apart. Big time. And Fuso, the head of the subcommittee, had this whole big thing planned. But George Miller of the House Committee on Science and Aeronautics overruled him and said only two people from each side can be can speak. So two from the Mercury 13 side, two from the NASA side. Jackie Cochran, though, went in and she was like, uh, can we get three? Because, you know, you talk to Cobb and Hart, so obviously it's who's going to speak. But I am the best known female pilot in the country, which is actually pretty true. You all know who I am. You should let me speak, too. And they're like, oh, yeah, OK. So you get three and the other side now gets three. So we had Cobb, Hart, and Cochran on the Mercury 13 side. The people running this program, Lovelace and Flickinger, were not invited. The other side had George Lowe, who was one of the directors at NASA, Scott Carpenter, and John Clinton. John Glenn, the biggest hero in America at the time. Ugh. No one really understood why Lovelace had not been invited. Even with that limitation, he should have at least been invited. Like something should have happened. But Cochran was like, okay, I'm at least going to contact him so I can say Randy says this. Randy said that the only way to keep moving forward was to allow women to keep the experiments going but to not expect anything of it, and women really aren't going to be able to qualify to go to space for at least five years because it's how long it's going to take to prove that they're medically capable. I mean, it only took three for men, but it's fine. Um, and he said that he never at any point thought women should immediately be allowed to go to space, which actually is kind of true, but kind of not. It's very confusing. Randy's kind of going up and down with this whole thing the whole time. Yeah. But it kind of backed up more or less what Cochran was saying, other than Cochrane didn't think the testing should continue, and he did. Jerry Cobb was the first to present her arguments and had gone so far as to mark up her speech with things like where she was supposed to pause and where she was supposed to emphasize words. She was fucking ready. She opened up by saying the phrase sound or serious and sound basis, which is how Cochrane, verbatim, had criticized her in every letter she had sent to every important person every time she was criticizing Cobb she goes this has no serious and sound basis and so Cobb went in there and she goes I'm very glad to, that you're all here to talk about this and how it has a serious and sound basis Cochrane hadn't shown up yet she didn't get to hear that she went through the science thinking there was no way someone could ignore that, ending with, quote, We seek only a place in our nation's space future without discrimination. We ask as citizens of this nation to be allowed to participate with seriousness and sincerity in the making of history now. We offer you 13 women pilot volunteers. And Fusa, the chairman who we thought was on our fucking side, said in response, she get, like she ended with that amazing line and said, "'Oh, I think we can safely say at this time that the whole purpose of space space exploration is to someday colonize his other planets. I don't see how we can do that without women.'"
1: Uh.
0: And then, as the laughter died down, he introduced Janie Hart as the wife of a senator and mother of eight. Janie Hart looked him up and down and said, "'I notice you call upon me immediately after you referred to colonizing space.'" It was a very self-deprecating joke and a clapback at the same time. You don't fuck with Janie Hart is what I've learned during all of this. She was a lot less restrained in her overall testimony, saying that the entirety of space shouldn't be a stag club and that this was an antiquated idea that kept women from being nurses during the Civil War until it was realized, oh, wait, we actually need them because men can't do all the work all the time. Since Cochran was going to be going up there, Cochrane still hasn't shown up, by the way. This is the day she's supposed to speak, and Cochran still hasn't spoken. Oh my God. Um, She knew that Cochrane is going to be going up there to say women were not necessary and men should be before them in line. So Hart said, quote, It seems to me a basic error in, Amer- uh, in America that the only time women are allowed to make a full contribution to a better nation is when there is a manpower shortage. She also said that, if nothing else, they at least need to finish the current program so they can get the data so that they can start the studies up later, because obviously they're going to want to do this for the sake of science, right? Like, I mean, if you're going to do the whole space exploration and have coloni- colonies, you need to know women can do it. So mm-hmm. you got to finish this, right? It's the only logical thing to do. She ended with, quote, I don't want to downgrade the feminine role of wife, mother and homemaker, but I don't think either that it is unwomanly to be intelligent, to be courageous, to be energetic, to be anxious, to contribute to human knowledge. There were then actual questions asked and concerns raised. It was actually a very like productive thing. But then James Fulton of Pennsylvania started speaking. Uh-huh. Now, James Fulton is incredibly sincere in all of the things he is saying. Problem is, he's that guy in the room that as soon as he starts speaking, everybody immediately votes against him, no matter if they agree with him or not. That person who just bugs you, who seems to be a bit of an idiot, even when what he's saying completely makes sense. And I don't know much about James Fulton, but based on the questions he's asking during this, I'm thinking he probably made sense a lot and people just didn't want to listen to him. They referred to him at one point as a buffoon during this uh, in the book. So the question he asked was, did it strike the women that the reason the tests were canceled was that men thought the women were too successful? Oh. And he meant it as a sincere question of, do you? Like, he's clearly thinking, the men are afraid of you. Has that come to your mind? Have you had this conversation? They weren't even allowed to answer. Another congressman immediately interrupted and asked a different question. Because, and, but that was enough to put in people's minds. Oh, we know what side James is on. we We can't vote for this anymore. That was enough to shut it down right there. The fact that for some reason James Fulton was allowed on the subcommittee, even, and he's asked the whole time, he's asking really good questions, bringing up really good points, and they're all like, "Mm, there goes Jimmy again. We just, we can't listen to him. We can't agree with him on anything. Finally, Cochran showed up. She's like, oh, sorry, I was in a meeting and I was running really late. And also, I just now found out about this like a couple of days ago, so I didn't have time to prepare anything. I'm going to be speaking off the cuff. Sorry. You Lessa. asked to be on this. Yes, she did. This is a bald-faced lie. It is also a very common political move that lowers the expectations so you can blow their fucking minds. She's on the side of Hart and Cobb, in theory, saying that there is discrimination happening. That was what their argument was, was you are discriminating against women. She said, quote... I do not believe there has been any intentional or actual discrimination in the astronaut program to date. As one who has had much experience in high-speed precision flying and over the years has passed many of the tests that were given to select the seven first astronauts, and also as one who would like exceedingly to go to space, I don't feel I have been the subject of any discrimination. I'm like, bitch, at any point did you ask NASA if you could go to space? Remember, once again, she had tried and failed because of a medical condition. She has not had the opportunity to face discrimination with this. She has not asked NASA if she could be an astronaut. And she has not, she did not reached the point in the testing where she could be discriminated against anyway because she had some underlying health condition that she could not control. But she did use this as a chance to berate Cobb and boost her own ego at the same time. And as far as I could tell from anything I read, no one had told NASA that she had tried to get into the program and been rejected because of her medical history. So she's, I think, still hoping that NASA will let her in. She also said the question should not even be about discrimination, but whether women would slow down the program, make it more expensive, mess up the schedule, etc. While well, there were so many qualified men who could be added if needed. She also said that she believed women were as capable as men, but we don't have enough Scientific proof yet, so we really can't just let them in. Nobody's been asking to let them in. They've been asking to allow this study that she just said should happen to happen. She said, though, maybe we should continue with the testing with some, like, in NASA, maybe not have Lovelace involved anymore, but with some, you know, rigidity and someone. I'm not saying who, but someone in charge of this program of women, keeping them supervised in line, really knowing how these tests. I'm not saying who. But maybe we should continue this testing just in this new way and just forget about these 13. Fuck them. We'll, we'll start new. We'll start fresh. Oh, she's the worst. And then she dived into some outright sexism and veiled homophobia that I'm not going to get into. Wow. It gets worse and I'm not going to talk about it.
1: Wow. That's a, that's a first. Something so bad that we don't go into it.
0: Fulton, the congressman who we don't, who they didn't like, we kind of like him at this moment. Again, I don't know anything else about him. Tried to bring up another good point. Well, if women were let, were were kept out of the program because they couldn't be trained by the military, why can't we just train them in the military? He's it like, Cochran? What what do you think about this? Can we le- should we let women into the military to do these jet these jet tra- test pilot training? She kind of read the room and changed the subject because she got she had, remember she hadn't been here earlier, but she was. I got to give her her due. She's a smart fucking woman. She read the room and immediately was like, I can't engage with this. I need to talk to somebody else. So that's what she did. So he uh, he was genuinely trying to be helpful. And he kept interrupting, going back and be like, no, like, we need to. He's like, I'm trying to make a serious point here. And he was getting talked over. And then and Fuso, in so many words, recalled him an incel. <laughs> Quote, Mr. Fulton is a bachelor and he thinks women are out of this world. So he would like to get them out of this world. Which, believe me, is not the worst thing that gets said in the rest of this. Then John Glenn and Scott Carpenter came in the next day. They had been briefed on exactly zero of this and had no idea why they were there. They were really used to just being brought in. They were talking on every topic in in politics and media. It was not weird to them to be called in to talk about anything, so they didn't question it. Uh, They knew nothing about the Pensacola issue that had just arisen. They didn't know anything about the women's success in the testing other than what had been in the media, and none of the isolation test stuff had been in the media. They didn't know that these women had kicked their asses. They were told to answer questions based on their own experience and with no other knowledge affecting it. George Lowe, the NASA guy, on the other hand, knew exactly why he was there and what he was doing. He said that women had never intentionally been kept out of the running, though they rejected all the women who had applied for the next round. He claimed that he didn't want to leave out women. There is no discrimination And the real reason women weren't involved is that women didn't want to be part of science to begin with. So it's really their fault. If they just got those science degrees, then maybe we could consider them. Remember, at least one of the women in the Mercury 13 was a fucking engineer with three degrees. And the rest had more flight hours in general than the men. And not all of the men had these science degrees. But Anfuso was like, oh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Women don't want to be there. I got it. I got it. Well, there's a congresswoman in the room. Last name was Weiss. And she goes, um, yeah, you know, women aren't allowed to enter these programs a lot. And they aren't allowed to be these test pilots at all all which means by default they're discriminated against if one of your requirements is that they have a job that they legally can't have you're by default discriminating and lo goes oh no it's that women don't want to be test pilots the only test pilot i've ever heard of is jackie cochran anyway and she's a different kind of test pilot um He also said that adding women to the list would just mean there are too many people and the Pensacola station is booked up. Remember what I said earlier? That Pensacola had in fact been booked up by them. Ha! the Mercury 13 had booked the Pensacola station. And now he said, like, we just don't have the time or the resources. We don't have room on the centrifuges. Everything is completely booked. So, I mean, even if we really wanted to do this, we can't do this for at least another couple of years because the calendar's just full, guys. Really, because they'd had enough time for put, to book away three months for this group and then take them off the calendar at the last second. And on top of that, the doctors who worked there were so Excited. They were like, yes, we're going to get these women in here. We're going to get to this really cool testing. We are ready. They were like pumped. They had been preparing for this, meaning time and money had already been spent and set aside for the purposes of this program. So, yeah, the space was not the issue either. Fulton came back. Here we go, Congressman Fulton. Like, shh, I agree with you, but shush, you're hurting the cause. He brought up that these rules had been bent for these astronauts in the room already. Like, these, neither of them had the degree. Scott Carpenter <laughs> and John Glenn, neither one of them have the degree you guys required. If you're going to bend the rules for them, why aren't you going to bend the rules for these women who've already passed the other exams? And they were all like, shut up, Fulton. <laughs> he actually was like, guys, I feel like I'm the only one asking valid questions at this point. Shut up, Fulton. <laughs> John Glenn... again, I told Austin earlier, he's going to get real mad at John Glenn. Uh, John Glenn knew nothing about what had been said earlier. He had not been there the previous day. He'd not been briefed on anything that had happened. He did say, quote, if we can find any women that demonstrate they have better qualifications for going into a program than we have going into that program, we would welcome them with open arms. (laughs) But people laughed thinking he was making a sexual joke. We would welcome them with open arms. Oh, God. Uh, he actually kind of was like, can we take that off the record? Like, he got really embarrassed. And then he redirected things saying um, he started talking about discrimination he'd seen in the past. Now he'd seen people like get discriminated against when they didn't need to be. Like, he had been told like black people shouldn't be allowed to fly. And then he'd been a flight trainer. And he's like, I saw black people who could fly. Like, I don't I don't see why this is a problem. Like, why are we discriminating? But then, quote... I think this gets back to the way our social order is organized, really. It's just a fact. The men go to off and fight the wars and fly the airplanes and come back and help and design and build and test them. The fact that women are not in the field is a fact of our social order. It may be undesirable. In that moment, America's greatest hero at the time sealed the deal. He could have used his platform to stand up for women and against the inequity, and it would have gone away if John Glenn had put his stamp of approval on this. I mean, at the time there was no arguing against John Glenn. Yeah. Instead he opted to the vague, there are good people on both sides kind of thing. Yes. And then Fulton <laughs> straight up asked him, and actually he actually got a direct answer on this one because it was a good question, as the other ones have been. He asked John Glenn, would you support a women's astronaut training program? Glenn said, I wouldn't be against it, but I don't really see why we need to do it. Quote, now to spend many millions of dollars to additionally qualify other people whom we don't particularly need, regardless of sex, creed or color, doesn't seem right when we already have these qualified people. Unquote. So also, he's apparently not cool with you know bringing people of other races or religions if it's going to cost money. Um, were you planning on all being qualified forever? Are you not going to die or get sick or have your special shell break like blow up at some point? Like not, you're going to be qualified forever. Well then, in that case, like let's just stop training doctors. We got plenty of them. Yeah. Cobb, and that's where the day ended basically. And they were told there was going to be a third day, and nobody really knew what the fuck was happening now. Like so, Cobb just gave him the last, and who the last of the information she had. Cochran gave him proof that at least one of the Mercury 13 was on her side. And in October, the committee issued their decision. Things are fine as they are, and they need to, start, they need to study the advantages of testing women before they begin to test women. So it's going to be years before we start testing you, and we still have to prove that it's worth the time and money to test you. Ugh. So we're going to spend mine and money, time and money proving that it's worth testing you, despite the fact that that work has already been done by Randy Lovelace and private funds. You'd think that'd be the end of it. Oh, no. But NASA began publicly mocking them. This is when I was like, Austin, you're gonna be mad at NASA, too. What? Perhaps worst of all, apparently NASA's director of the Manned Spacecraft Center, Robert Gilruth, said male astronauts were actually all for women in space because, quote, or so NASA was, quote, reserving 110 pounds of payload for recreational equipment. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Guys, their argument was that women are an average of 110 pounds that's why they should be allowed to go to space because they weigh less than men so they were reserving 110 pounds of payload for recreational equipment
1: that's disgusting
0: yeah yeah and that really pissed jd hard off as you might imagine she was uh-huh. fucking done with this with everybody everybody so some of the women accepted their fate others decided to keep fighting for some kind of equality in flight in general at least Wally Funk was like, oh, fuck this, and kept finding ways to undergo all of the testing anywhere she could. She went to different countries where they would give her these different the astronaut training programs that she needed to go through. She and Janie or uh, she and jerry are the only ones who completed the entire thing wally funk actually did complete 100 of it and pass 100 of all three parts parts of the testing wow but she had to do the third part over many years on her own dime finding people to do it for her and she finally got to the centrifuge test the one that i've talked about she was in that centrifuge guys for something like 45 minutes i think it was a long ass time I, I couldn't I couldn't find that resource again. This is not something I found in the original resource, though. They wouldn't give her a G suit. Oh. So she didn't really understand the science behind what the G suits were supposed to do, other than kind of hold things in place. So she didn't know that it was more to work on your lower half. She thought it was for your midsection. So bitch put on a fucking corset and said, Let's do this. Now, this could have killed her, it turns out. Like it could have smashed her insides, basically. Ah. She withstood five and six G forces without a G suit on. And to that to this day, she calls oh that's easy it's insane yeah she's like six g's easy i'm like i didn't even know six g's was well a fucking thing ah But yeah, Wally Funk says that that's easy. And she's even talked about, like, I'll do it again in a fucking course if you fucking make me. She doesn't say fuck to my knowledge. Maybe she does, but this is how my my inner workings of Wally Funk's head. The first woman in space went up in 1963. A Russian textile worker and amateur parachutist named (laughs) Valentina Tereshkova. Cobb was disappointed that someone who couldn't possibly have passed her own tests was able to go to space before her. But she actually was happy that a woman got to do it at least. John Glenn, on the other hand, still said American women would, men would unquestionably be better astronauts than American women. All female applicants kept getting rejected by NASA. In 1965, oh, I'd also say she had passed these tests two years before she finally got to make it to Congress, by the way. She'd been doing this for years at this point. it had been three years since all this had started. I just wanted to throw that in. Um, 1965, Randy Lovelace and his wife, Mary, were killed in a plane crash. Oh. Um, yeah, like he was so just, this. all of this destroyed him. So he just like spent all of his money to go around the world with his wife, bought a condo. They were flying to the condo. Uh, his pilot got a little confused. They got trapped in a canyon and he, he tried to get them out of there and didn't. It took something like 80 planes to find their bodies flying wow. over all this land because they didn't know where they had crashed. So Yeah. Uh, he died in 1965 and the rest of the program died with him because there was like there was still some hope with some of them. And when he died, there was no chance. Jerry Cobb also was just defeated and she started to like get into like missionary work. She was actually a pretty religious person. Um, and so she became a missionary pilot in the Amazon. Uh, and she was making no money and lived like as a hermit in the Amazon at this point flying. Like there was a time where she flew just a package of Coca-Cola from one country to another just so she could just not be around people. Um, She was mid-flight when the lunar landing happened. Like she heard it over the radio while she was flying from one place to another doing a delivery. And again, she was really excited about it. But again, not happy that she couldn't be a part of it. It wasn't until 1978 that minority and female astronauts were part of a group of 35 new astronauts. The six women, though, weren't pilots and couldn't fly the shuttle. They were scientists, and they could offer skills in other ways. So Sally Ride ended up being the first American woman in space in 1983. Janie Hart was the only one of the Mercury 13 who went. The rest of the remaining Mercury 13 and Janie Hart said, "No, this isn't good enough. Not Janie Ride. Not not Sally Ride. Not the not the women. They're not the problem." The fact that no women is being allowed to be a commander is a fucking problem. You didn't get a single fucking pilot. We have 13 still ready to fucking go. Uh, You can tell that I'm pissed on their behalf. Yeah. (laughs) So they kept fighting. And in 1986, B. Stedman, one of the 13, recognized the 25th anniversary of the Lovelace tests by contacting... All of their other members, because their names had all been outed during the Congress hearings. Everybody knew who all 13 women were at this point. Um, she invited them, like, let's let's finally meet. Some of them went, some of them didn't want to go, because it was not a happy memory for them. But the next time they met, more of them were enthusiastic to join in. Because in 1998, 1998 Eileen Collins became the first female shuttle commander in the U.S., she vaguely knew about the Mercury thirteen, mostly through like rumors and whispers through NASA, where they actually admitted that the tests the Mercury thirteen had undergone were harder than the tests Eileen Collins had undergone. Wow. Yeah. No one really knew much about them beyond that. Um, but oh the Mercury thirteen, Jean Nora Stumbbell, the one who actually agreed with Cochrane at the begin with, decided, you know what? This is our win. This is our win. Eileen Collins is our win. This is where we have finally, like, she would not be there if it wasn't for us. So she contacted the other 13 that were remaining, and Eileen Collins was like, let's meet. And they did. Um, Marion Dietrich had died of cancer already in 1974. Jane Hickson had died of cancer in 1984. Janie Hart wasn't able to go. Uh, She actually had a conflict, so she sent one of her sons. Uh, And Jan Dietrich was sick and couldn't go. Um, But they all did meet as much as they could at that point. But to this day, there has been no time when the entire Mercury 13 was ever in one room. Not all of them room met each other, um, as far as I could tell. And in 1999, Eileen Collins flew the space shuttle Columbia into orbit orbit to deploy an X-ray telescope. Eileen had invited all the surviving Mercury 13 members to be there. Not all of them were able to, but the ones who could were able uh, they did go collins fully gave them credit saying that if they hadn't been there she probably wouldn't be there because they had proven this and nasa didn't want to basically um at that point wally funk was the only one still trying to get into space she signed up for a few low-cost uh, civilian fa- space flights and they all kept getting delayed she put down deposits in the U.S. and Russia, and Eileen agreed to go to Russia to go back through astronaut drills, even if it meant putting that corset back on. Jerry Cobb kept largely to herself. Um, when they went to go see Eileen take off, uh, she showed up late. Like she didn't want to, Like she purposely probably missed the banquet so she wouldn't have to make conversation. She would be asked to pose for photos with these other women, and she—they would turn on to get the camera, and she would have just taken off. She was she couldn't she couldn't anymore. Um, and they were like, "Oh well, she lives alone in the Amazon now. She doesn't she just doesn't understand the social structure anymore." I think it's more that she had just been broken too many times, um, and it probably didn't help that they decided to test whether older people could handle space travel, and they sent John Glenn back to space at the age of seventy-seven. Which I Jerry that. Cobb was about actually a little younger than him I think um so the entire country tried to get NASA to send Jerry Cobb and Jerry Cobb was like I have hope I get to go to space I get to do it there there are school children around the country writing letters to NASA saying let Jerry go to space Hillary Clinton who is the fucking president's wife is saying let Jerry go to space we have people in senate and congress saying let Jerry go to space and NASA said no fuck Jerry Cobb they still said absolutely not to Jerry Cobb. Not to women in general, just to her. Now, Austin and I typically love NASA, but this was like 1997-ish, oh I think. God. This was not that long ago. We right were
1: all listening to the Spice Girls and this was happening?
0: Right around the time they lost their, most of their funding. Like a coincidence? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, they said no to Jerry Cobb. They didn't even let her try. They didn't let her test to make sure she could still physically safely do it. They said, no, we're going to send John, but fuck you, Jerry. The book The Mercury 13, which a lot of my research was based on, was published in uh, 2003. Wally Funk finally made it to space this year in 2021. While Jerry Cobb was unquestionably the hero of the story, each of these women could be their own book. Even Jackie Cochran probably deserves her own book, because everything I found was very biased against Jackie Cochran. And that's, you know... She is a legit fucking villain based on every single source I found. Jackie Cochran's a villain. I would kind of like to hear her side of it. And I, she's dead now, but I feel like, you know, maybe we should have afforded her that at some point. Yeah. Um, but let's wrap it up. We'll just talk about what happened to each of them. Myrtle Cagle, she was a flight instructor and writer. She died at the age of 94 on December 22nd, 2019. Jerry Cobb, that total badass, died at the age of 88 on March 18th. 2019. Janet Dietrich, a pilot and later a commercial airline pilot, died at the age of 81 on June 5th, 2008. Marion Dietrich, another pilot, died in 1974 at the age of 47 or 48 from cancer. Wally Funk, uh, aviator, first female flight instructor at a fucking military base. I'm sorry, she was a female flight instructor at a military base while this was going on, and they still wouldn't let her qualify for this. She is currently age 82 and officially the oldest person to have flown to space. Sarah Gorlick Ratley. She was one of all the degrees. She worked as an engineer and later an accountant. She died at the age of 86 on March 17, 2020. Janie Briggs Hart, another all-around badass, died at the age of 93 on June 5th, 2015. Jean Hickson, the second woman to exceed Mach 1. She was a school teacher and she was a member of the U.S. Air Force Reserve, died at the age of 61 on September 21st, 1984. Rayo Hurl Wolfman, another ultimately became a commercial pilot, died February 15th, 2021. Oh. at the age of 92 and donated her body to science. Nora Jean Stumbo jessen she was a flight instructor, demonstration pilot, FAA advisor. She is currently 84, so there's one other person from this who's able to see Wally go to space. Uh, Irene Leverton, pilot, flight instructor, Czech pilot, died on July 23rd, 19, or 2017 at the age of 90. Jerry Sloan, who was a badass, that I mentioned, who didn't get her due in this whole story. Jerry Sloan Truhill was the vice president of Air Freighters International and Air Services, died November 18, 2013, at 84. And B. Stedman, pilot and co-founder of the International Women's Air and Space Museum in Ohio, died March 18, 2015, at the age of 89. So almost all of them barely missed Wally going to space. One of them still around, so got to see it happen. Um, they really all paved the way for this to happen in different levels different levels of fighting different and i mean a a couple of them to be commercial pilots which is still a heavily male-dominated field to this Uh day these women were like breaking fucking glass ceilings with their planes all all over the place and we we didn't give them their due we didn't learn about them in school they were not called the mercury 13 at that point like they were the women in space program and then project venus and then just kind of nothing that was a media coin term in the long run so yeah they don't get their due in this whole story of space flight in america and john glenn screwing them over and god damn it john glenn like i hope at some point john glenn redeems himself i have not done a whole lot of research on john glenn he's dead he's super dead but um i'm talking about like in the grand scheme of his career because i know he went on to be a politician and all that
1: he was a senator
0: yeah um so i don't know i haven't done a lot of research on john glenn specifically but we learned about him in school we didn't learn about them no we learned about neil armstrong we didn't learn about them we didn't learn about lyndon b johnson meeting with these women and turning them down we learned all the stuff about NASA. We learned about Sally Ride and they she wouldn't have been up there if it wasn't for these women. Yeah. Like we were in school when Eileen Collins went to space and she wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for them. And even with her saying it was to their credit, we never learned about them. No. And it's kinda of like, you know, back when i was a kid in oklahoma and clara looper way back from episode one guys was getting all these awards and things but i lived in oklahoma and we didn't talk about her and i think it's because we're kind of embarrassed by these things
1: yeah maybe
0: we're embarrassed by how we treated clara looper we're embarrassed by how we treated these women but that's not a good enough reason it's time to do better and we still need to do better but that is the story of the mercury 13 and how wally funk just managed to get to space
1: Wow, that was an epic tale, and I feel awful. Like, first mowing the lawn gets ruined for me today, and now NASA?
0: Yeah, it's like, seriously, guys, you couldn't at least give Jerry Cobb a fucking test. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, even if you faked the results, at least you would have given her some closure. More importantly,
1: we actually really lift up the name of our podcast. It's like, this was about a test.
0: Yeah, this was an entire three episode arc about tests and soap opera type drama, because holy shit. And I do think I'm going to do an episode on Janie Hart sometime, because this barely scratched the surface of, like, I cut so much out because I'm like, you know what, this is a Janie Hart piece. Um, Are you ready for your questions? I'm ready for my questions. Uh, The Mercury 13 were ultimately named by the media, not the program. Yes. Only Wally Funk and Jerry Cobb underwent the entire set of testing with Wally having to pursue it on her own. Yeah, that should be on the test. Jerry Cobb had a national campaign fighting for her to fly to space later in life, and NASA once again refused her, even though that women could fly and men at her age could also fly.
1: No, that will not be on the test.
0: Women proved more capable on most of the tests, including the isolation test, than the men did. Damn straight they will be on the test. Right, and that is that.
1: Wow!
0: Yeah, this has been exhausting. Austin has watched me, like, sitting there screaming at my computer. I almost burst into tears earlier because it was just so exhausting reading what they did to these poor women who, like, they were such badasses the whole time and maintained... This composure that yeah they didn't need to like there should have been some ball kicking at some point and there wasn't and some titty punching when it came to Jackie Cochran <laughs> unless Jackie Cochran has a side of the story that I haven't found yet maybe she is completely justified and just a product of her time but also what the fuck happened to Flickinger like I could not yeah. figure that out where did Flickinger go I don't know like did we kill Flickinger like what happened here um yeah so that was an intense read um but the book is called just the mercury 13 um there's also a movie that came out a few years ago i haven't watched it yet yeah. Wow. Also, all of this, like, this was happening at the same time as, like, Hidden Figures, too. Yeah. Like, like I asked kind of what makes me wonder. I'm like, did Jane, Janie Hart and, like, Jerry Cobb and all of them, did they know about the black women who were running the space program? Did any, like, did did they know this was also happening? Because I think if they had, they would have brought it up and, like, okay, so you've got women who can do the math. You've proven that women can build this for you, but you're afraid to let women fly it? Yeah. Um, Which is not a competition. It's not, you know, either or. It should be both. And that's kind of what it sounds like from all of their arguments is it can be both. We can, there's a, there's a spot at the table for everyone. And we still struggle with that as a country and as a, especially in science today. The end. Wow. So where can people find
1: us? Well, they can find us on Facebook at facebook.com on the test pod on Instagram at on the test pod on Twitter at on the test pod and our website on the Yeah.
0: And if you liked what you hear, uh, oh boy, guys, I made it. I've made it. I've been on my speaking pills this whole time. Uh, if you like what you heard today, go on to iTunes, give us a five star rating and a review. We got our first ever low rating,
1: no review. It didn't hurt our feelings much. Uh,
0: if there'd been a review, it probably I probably would have cried. But guys, like, seriously, I don't understand the concept of low reviews when it comes to stuff like this. I've never given one. Even if I hate it, like, oh my God, there's a podcast that I'm not going to mention that I hate that is well loved by many, many people who are fans of similar podcasts as mine. I'm a fan of true crime, history, and paranormal. There's a podcast that I listened to one episode of and thought, wow, this group of people is incredibly sexist. I am not going to listen to this show. I did not go onto their podcast page and leave them a bad review because, you know, they're not... it's kind of a hard thing. Like if if I had felt that they were intentionally being sexist, like certain Rogans out there, then <laughs> I probably would have left a review. But I thought these guys just kind of sound like idiots, and apparently they get better later. So I'm not going to do it based on this 20 minutes I listened to. Um, which I know sounds really defensive as as the podcaster here, but it comes down to a lot of time and effort and heart goes into this kind of thing. And if you don't like it, don't listen. Yeah,
1: no one's making you listen. To Honestly, us. I
0: don't think we should have ratings and reviews to begin with. Like, and I know iTunes is considering getting rid of that whole system, which they should. Yeah. But since we have them and we need them, it's kind of how the system works at the moment. So leave us a rating review, subscribe, uh, go onto your friends' phones, give us positive ratings. Let's balance out that two star we got. And I, like, we still are at 4.8. Like, I shouldn't be bummed about that. I'm just mostly like, why? What What, what made you go to hey, the effort?
1: That 4.8 makes it seem like we're, like, real. Instead of like, oh, they've just got five stars. You know, like, oh, 4.8. Yeah. It's like, okay, they're actually highly, highly rated. I'm less suspicious of 4.8
0: than I am of a 5.0. I can honestly say neither one of us has reviewed our podcast. No. Because that I would mean, take effort.
1: Obviously, we should. Because <laughs> I I, I I've do. got lots of things to say about us. Like, we're, we're a solid three stars from me. <laughs>
0: They're okay. They like, s- they exist, and I'm pretty glad that they're not dead, so that's something.
1: I can't stand the sound of Austin's voice. Maddie's pretty cool. That's my review.
0: Well, on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.